morning. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. I'm Chris Mitchell here giving you the sports takes on sports that you like and the video game takes on the video games that I like. I'm very tired. I'm so tired. I've been up since like five. But it's okay. We can get through this together because... You know this, I know this, probably if you're listening, you care. Because it is officially week one of college football. It's college football Saturday. This Saturday. Woohoo! Play that music. <laughs> oh, hold up. Hey, hey. Yeah! Woo! College football's back! Oh, I think I unplugged it. Got a little bit too excited there. But that is right. College football in its entirety is back. Starting with some Thursday matchups tonight, because tonight's Thursday night, actually. Keep forgetting. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Believe it or not, there are a couple of interesting games I want to talk about a little bit. Unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of interesting games this Saturday, really. In, like, the grand scheme of things, there aren't a whole lot of interesting games this week, really. I guess as far as, like, the playoff picture goes. But should be some fun games nonetheless. Talk a little bit about that. But first, I think I want to talk about probably the biggest news to come out of sort of the week zero of college football. Oh, yeah, I should probably talk about those games, too. (laughs) There's a lot to talk about. But first, let's get down to, like, the big, shocking, big-time news, and that's Andrew Luck hanging up the cleats, announcing that he is going to retire from playing professional NFL football. I don't think he's coming back. Nothing really came out in his interview as him having any sort of desire to come back. And... I mean, if you, like, read, like, how he sort of phrased his retirement speech, it goes a little bit something like this. Quote, I've been stuck in this process. I haven't been able to live the life I want to live. It's taken the joy out of this game. And the only way forward for me is to remove myself from football and the cycle that I've been in. And quote, cycle, of course, referring to the constant, it feels like, cycle of injury, rehab, getting back out there, getting hurt again, having to go through the recovery and rehab process over and over again. It's it's tough, man. I mean, I feel like if, you, if you've been t- paying attention to how the Colts football team has been structured, it's very hard to not point fingers at the way the Colts have sort of like, and the front office have sort of structured their offense more specifically, specifically, I mean, on the offensive line. Granted, they did try to make good on that by drafting Quentin Nelson, who's a beast, I might add. And I think that helped Andrew Luck a lot last season, sort of live up to his comeback player of the year status because he did play very well down the stretch. But I mean, besides that, and then there was the thing with his, uh, I believe it was his ankle. 
this offseason or his shoulder. One of those two. It could have been both for all I know. But outside of that, I'm not really shocked at all. I mean, the initial shock of, oh, he's retiring, like, right now. <laughs> There's always that, I feel like. But in the grand scheme of things, I feel like if he didn't retire this season or last Saturday, his actual retirement would not have been too far off. Because, man, he's just, Andrew Luck, I can't think of another quarterback at his level who has taken the amount of punishment that he has and still been able to come out as a really pretty good quarterback. Granted, he did have his growing pains coming into the league. I believe he was in like the top three for throwing picks his first and second season. Of course he got better and sort of grew into the Andrew Luck we know today. But man, watching that presser, and it just felt like dude was just, if he wasn't broken already, he was just pull, just slamming on the eject button like right before the actual like human collapse. Before, you know, so he like actually salvage his body, his sanity for, you know, his family, his wife, his kid now. He's got a kid which I don't think people, like, remember when they talk about this. Like, <laughs> dude's got, like, a whole family he's got to think about, too. And the money's nice, but that doesn't mean a whole lot when your body, your spirit, and your mind is pretty much broken by the game that, head to toe, you're like a golden retriever for it. Like you were, like you are if you're Andrew Luck. And it's... I don't know. I feel like this reminds me. Well, I think actually it does remind me of this per se, but I think it was really interesting that we got Andrew Luck's retirement happening. And then at the same time, almost, I believe in like the span of like a few days, we got Rob Gronkowski, who also retired, speaking his piece about why he retired, talking about, how the game has sort of changed for him in that it's no longer something that he enjoys. And he's another example of a guy who just lived while he was on the field. You could just tell he lived and breathed football, like head to toe, just could not get enough of it. Was his like favorite thing ever. And he was talking about how after a Super Bowl win, he just could not sleep for the longest time and it would drive him absolutely crazy. And I feel like people don't really or hadn't really thought of the sort of mental toll that comes with being or succumbing to injuries as often as Andrew Luck or Rob Gronkowski did throughout their careers and still come out looking, you know, like they hadn't really missed a step. Like, during the season, Andrew Luck still kept up that, I suppose, on-field persona. You know, being really friendly to the guy who sacks him, Rob Gronkowski, also. Sort of keeping up that energy for, you know, Gronk spikes, things of that nature. And to see that facade just sort of 
wear off and you start to see how the game really feels to these guys is I f- is something that we don't really see much or hadn't really seen that much until you get into the age of social media or, you know, I suppose phones with cameras on them or something like that, where it's easier for players, athletes, no matter what sport they're in, to sort of come clean about how they really feel about the game, how they really feel about the injuries, and be a little bit more honest with themselves, with the fans, with their teammates. And now they have, I mean, I I feel like they always had like at least some sort of platform to do it, whether it be via the local press or whatever. But now it seems like it's almost instant, I guess, is the word I'd use for it. The transmission from going like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore to actually coming out and doing it and then getting the opportunity to explain yourself on pretty much every like wide uh, sports media outlet you can think of. Like I can't think of a major sports website that didn't have video of Andrew Lux retirement out there. And I think once you have, I don't know, the context of that, at your disposal and you have, you know, like the medicals to like back it up, the data, the science behind it all. It's a boot as well. It becomes very hard to not feel at least a fraction of sympathy for what they're going through because it does in a way feel like the game was just, I don't know, the love for the game you had just was just snatched out of your grasp by a bunch of injuries that probably could have been avoided if your front office did do due diligence or I'm not, I don't know. All I know is I remember watching it or watching the coverage of it after work and I've I feel like we do there is a little bit of a magnification of all the negative stuff that comes out of this like everyone saw the video of Colts fans booing Andrew Luck off the field because Andrew Luck actually got scooped on his retirement by one Adam Schefter <laughs> shout out to Adam and then you got I don't know the usual sports media clowns talking about Andrew Luck being a coward or whatever being a sissy things of that nature but for the most part I feel like I think this also has something to do with the fact that there is an elevated platform for all these players and all these athletes or people who've been there who've been in the same place as Andrew Luck to sort of like shout him down call him clowns things of that nature and I think it's good that we're sort of in that spot now where players can feel feel more open if like the game ain't doing it for you anymore whether it be from like injury fatigue whatever and you feel like you got to step down I feel like the culture now at least in sports is more open to the idea of just 
walking away from it if you really feel like it. So that's really all I have on that. Shout out to Andrew Luck for probably, I would say, taking the hard way out. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, at least for me, the hardest way to, hardest way to sort of like exit. Just to drop the cold turkey, it's tough. Because I feel like all too often you see players who, despite, you know, the injury, the fatigue, still try to keep going, and then it just tears them apart. So good on Andrew Luck for no one to call it quits. Same with Gronkowski. Same for anyone who stops just short of their expiration date, at least on the football field. For no one to walk away. I hope more players in the future sort of adopt that ethos. Anyways, moving on to week zero. I watched... I think I watched a good chunk of these games. I watched most of Florida Miami, which was about as Florida Miami week zero football as you can get. I feel like, and then I watched a little bit of Hawaii, Arizona, which we can also talk about in man, uh, Arizona might be in trouble. (laughs) Y'all that's the big takeaway I got from Arizona, Hawaii because whoo, that's not to say I thought Hawaii was going to be a gimme for Arizona, but man, the way they lost was just, whew. oh boy. And then on top of that, I watched a little bit of Samford and Youngstown State. And boy, howdy, Youngstown State just put the beat down on Samford. It didn't start out that way. I kind of checked into that game when it was kind of like at a, I suppose a lull of like a couple of low level teams just like duking it out, trying to like get a feel for what they want to do. And then Youngstown State was like, all right, I'm just going to like take the ball from Sanford all the time, score a bunch of touchdowns. What do you get to do about it? And they could do nothing. All they could do was turn the ball over. It was very good. It was, it was really good like afternoon, like mid-major football. And I would not be disappointed if I had the opportunity to watch something like that again next season, just to sort of, you know, as an appetizer for the football season as a whole. And then after that, you had uh, Miami, Florida, which I mean, Florida, at least for me, felt like they won that game in the most uh, Florida way possible, which is despite, (laughs) despite Felipe, Felipe Franks, uh, for all intents and purposes, sort of mailing it in, in the fourth quarter after having, for the most part, a pretty solid game. I mean, outside of that 66 ish yard touchdown, Past most of it was yards after carry, I might add. <laughs> uh, ju- just putting that out there. Uh, they didn't generate a whole lot of total offense. 
but still, they, by hook or by crook, they sort of figured it out. How to sort of <laughs> get their stuff in shape while Miami, on the other hand, I got to say, Jaron Williams completed 19 out of 29 pass attempts for 214 yards and one touchdown. He did pretty good for what he had to work with because, wow, 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 wow. That offensive line is just, whew, man, my my God. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have some problems on that offensive line because they were just getting bullied. They looked lost for most of that game. Just getting called for all kinds of penalties, just not having any answers for like the consistent, you know, uh, emotional Todd Grantham blitzing that is known for the Todd Grantham defense. They just had nothing, man. He, Jaron Williams had like zero piece while he was like trying to work in the pocket, but still scored 20 points. So put 20 points on the board. So not too horrible. Should have the total offensive total, total like offensive yards, but I don't. All I got to say is Florida's leading rusher or leading rusher in like per like average yards was their punter via fake punts. Yeah. <laughs> Florida had some issues. Florida had some issues running the ball. I think a lot of that had to do with Miami's defense because Oh, boy, they got some killers on that defense, y'all. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Miami got a pretty good defense. Like, pretty, pretty good. I don't know how much this should, like, I don't know, surprise anybody who's been paying attention to Miami the past couple of years. But, yeah, Miami, they should be fine. I feel like I said this on the last show, but no matter what the outcome, both teams should be okay. I don't see a whole lot of uh, issues befalling them. I guess the biggest problem I would foresee is Williams getting hurt. Because, man, that, (laughs) again, that offensive line, not doing him any favors. Doing him zero favors. So I don't know what you do about that. Maybe eat some more Wheaties. Drink some more protein shakes. Do something because I feel like I saw an offensive lineman out there who weighed like 210 (laughs) at the max. They just looked like they did not belong in an offensive line. So that's something that Nate Diaz is going to have to work out. Especially in like, I don't know, recruiting, trying to find some transfers somewhere. Do something to like build that offensive line for that quarterback because he's good. Jeremy Williams, that's that's my take. He's good. DJ Dallas, also wide receiver, targeted 12 times. Or rather, got 12 receptions for 95 yards, one touchdown. Did I read that right? No. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He is a uh, running back. Got 12 carries, 95 yards, one touchdown. Brevin Jordan. That's a wide receiver. 88 yards, five receptions, one touchdown. 
least for Miami, on the Gator side. Let me do some flipping. Uh, yeah. Felipe Franks actually had a completed 17 of 27 passes, 254 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. That last pick, of course, coming at a very inconvenient time in sort of their own territory where he just threw up the nastiest arm punt you ever did see. And again, a very suboptimal time. And woof, man. I don't know. I feel like that's going to bite forward in the butt somewhere. And that might keep them out of, I suppose, larger SEC East contention. I don't know. Who knows? Florida could be fine. After that, we had uh, Arizona and Hawaii, which, oh boy. Uh, yeah, Arizona, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, let me just pull up Arizona's schedule real quick. And, I mean, and I feel like you'll understand. What, okay, so up next, they have Northern Arizona. Then they have Texas Tech, UCLA, Colorado, Washington, USC, Stanford. They get Northern Arizona at home, Texas Tech at home, UCLA at home, Colorado on the road, uh, Washington at home, USC on the road, and then Stanford on the road. Um, I see like two wins here, maybe. I guess that depends on how t what Texas Tech cooking up over there uh do i see arizona beating ucla mm, i don't think so at least not to me uh it, it's gonna be really tough for them to be bowl eligible because i feel like hawaii would have been one of like i'm not gonna say one of the easiest opponent one of the gimmiest opponents but one that would theoretically not present that much of an issue as they did so uh let's take a look at the numbers on the hawaii rainbow warrior side you got quarterback cole mcdonald who first off amazing dreads completed 29 out of 41 pass attempts for 378 yards four touchdowns and four interceptions buddy if that's not a ryan fitzpatrick line I don't know what is, and boy, howdy, they just threw the ball down their throat, Arizona's throat. And on top of that, you can throw on like 100-plus yards of rushing, too, on top of the Wildcats. And then on the other side, you got Khalil Tate, quarterback for Arizona, completing 22 out of 39 pass attempts, 361 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and then on top of that, having 13 carries for 108 yards. Again, one of those cases where Khalil Tate kind of had to do pretty much everything for that offense. That offense lives, breathes, and dies by Khalil Tate. As per the final play of the game in which Khalil Tate could have taken it over overtime, but he was stopped just short of the end zone by one scrappy defensive lineman who got beat at the start of the play, but <laughs> persisted. Still, he rose like the Phoenix 
hunted Khalil Tate down, tackled him just short, ending the game with a final score of 45 to 38. Advantage Rainbow Warriors. So shout out to them. Hawaii now undefeated against the Pac-12 in 2019. What's up, y'all? That doesn't sound good to you. I don't know. I do not know what does. <sighs> that was a really fun weekend. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about a couple games tonight, as well as a couple games on Saturday that might be interesting. Plus, we got to get into some baseball news. Ha <laughs> ha! You didn't think I'd be talking about baseball, huh? I like never talking about baseball. So we'll get into a little bit about that. Maybe get into some video game stuff because there was some interesting news in the sort of video game sphere coming out this week. We can talk about that and probably some more after the break. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Do not go anywhere. Do you like sports? If you answered yes, make sure to tune in each and every Friday to listen to Mid-Missouri's premier sports talk show, The Hot Corner. From 8 to 9 a.m., tune in on KCOU 88.1 FM or KCOU.FM. Ranger Station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. KCOU would like to thank One to One Print Shop for their support. One to One outfitted our entire staff with custom performance polos and t-shirts, and they can do the same for your business or organization. To learn more, visit them at 1610 Paris Road or go to their website at oneto1printshop.com. That's O-N-E-T-O-O-N-E printshop.com. Thank you, One to One, for supporting KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. I'm Chris Mitchell here with the sports that you like and the video games that I like. Kicking this off with some baseball news. Throwing you a curveball here. <laughs> baseball terminology. And this kind of shocked me when I first read it. And that is Royals owner. That's right, the Kansas City Royals owner, David Glass, thinking about selling the team. The team is currently worth, I think, about a billion dollars right now, which, I mean, okay. 
kind of impressive that a team built like this and has played like this is worth like a billion dollars, but whatever. Sure, why not? And and as far as I know, and as far as we, the populace knows, the biggest name tied to any sort of transaction for the franchise is tied to a dude named John Sherman. John Sherman, a little bit of a mogul in his own right, sort of came up in the biz, on the baseball biz, but like the biz biz in KC, owns a little bit of the Cleveland baseball team. I think like a 30% shareholder or something. So he knows a little bit about baseball. And he's from Kansas City. So not too much of, I suppose, an outsider as David Glass was sort of uh, panned out to be or sort of painted as. Now, I feel like this is probably the best time for David Glass to sell the team because right now they're kind of at a crossroads of sorts. You got a bunch of young talent, not a whole lot of wins in the foreseeable future. Probably got to do some flipping. Probably got to have to get rid of Dayton Moore. Ned Yost probably won't make it either. If there's going to be a new owner, new management, fresh, clean start. Going to have to take care of all that. Probably going to have to weed out some vets as well. And this is probably as bad as good a time as any for a complete Royals rebrand. After we sort of like lost like the, I guess, core of the World Series squad. Couldn't really build upon that. I mean, hey, you won a World Series in like 2015, so might as well cut your losses now. Before you really start regressing to like, I don't know, early 2000s Royals baseball, which I am very fond of because seats for cheap, not a whole lot of people there, not a whole lot of belligerents, which is great if you're like eight or nine years old and just want to watch baseball and don't really care about what's actually going on and you're just happy that you're at a baseball game. <laughs> but hey, who knows? Having a fresh, fresh face. At the owner spot, sort of doing a general sweep, housekeeping, things of that nature to sort of make the team relevant again. I'm down for that. I'm down to be, I don't know, pleasantly surprised, intrigued by whatever Royals baseball has to offer me. Maybe that can open up their playoff window again. Who knows? Maybe in like two or three years. I don't know. Maybe Sherman will be less stingy in the pocketbook than David Glass. I don't know. I guess it all depends on if he actually buys the team or not. Which, again, that'd be fun. I'd be down for that. I'd be down to see a fresh take on Royals baseball. Who knows? I might even get more... <laughs> baseball content on here I guess we'll see anyways back to college football uh we got some week one matchups uh now there are a couple of games that stand out to me first up I think at like 6 30 or something you got Cincinnati against UCLA now I know that 
UCLA probably won't be as bad as it was last year. I don't think Chip Kelly is going to get ambushed by Cincinnati like he did last year after Cincinnati sort of took him to church at UCLA last last season. But unfortunately, you got to play Cincinnati on the road, Chip Kelly. Granted that it's not a steep slope to climb, but yeah. It might be steep enough to the point where eh, maybe your team's not quite there yet to topple a pretty solid Mountain West opponent. Are they Mountain West? No, they're not. I'm thinking of Fresno State. American Athletic Conference? Yeah, that's the one. A pretty solid AAC. Is Cincinnati actually going to be good this year? I haven't crunched the numbers, but it should be pretty even by my estimation. Uh, I'd probably go with Cincinnati. Anyways, after that, at 915, you got the Holy War as the Utes of Utah, the number 14th ranked Utah Utes, go to BYU, take on the Cougars. Uh, this could be interesting. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this could get kind of bananas, at least by my estimation. I mean, last year, only lost by a little bit, lost by one point to Utah, at Utah. And, of course, BYU took out teams like Arizona, Mississippi State, Cincinnati. Wait, this is going back to 2016. What am I looking at? Thanks, Google. Anyways, I know they beat Wisconsin last year. So I definitely think BYU's got it in them to sort of ambush a top-level team like Utah. And, of course, Utah is no slouch to getting upset by teams who are not hip to playing their sort of game in which Utah respectfully, respectfully asks you to leave your offense at the door. Just take off your offense at the door. We don't allow those in here. Not on, not on the hardwood, not on the carpet. Of course, some teams say no. To which Utah goes, uh, okay, want some tea? And then proceed to get <laughs> beat down. <laughs> of course, it goes vice versa. If people choose, if teams choose to play that game, Utah will proceed to beat them down. But hey, who knows? Holy War, always a fun time if you're super into Utah football. Anyone else? Uh, uh, could be interesting. I'll probably watch it. And then sometimes, I think at like seven, you got Clemson versus Georgia Tech. Now, uh, probably light a prayer candle for Georgia Tech because uh, this could get really ugly really quickly. I believe uh, ESPN has them as the 45 Clemson, at least has Clemson as the 45 point favorite, which I feel 
seems to not give Clemson enough credit. I feel like if you're Georgia Tech, what you got to do in this game is you have to just sort of get a feel out for what you kind of want your offense to look like for the rest of the season. Or not even that. What what do you want them to look like for like the next few games or so? Because this is your chance to experiment. This is your chance to sort of figure out like what you want to look like as a offense. Sort of get your uh, stuff down there. Uh, I think Clemson will win. I don't think I'd be going to out of school suggesting that Clemson comes out on top in this matchup, but there could be some stuff to look at if you're Georgia Tech. However many highlights you got, look at those. Marinate on those for a little bit. Sort of, I don't know, see if you can cultivate some sort of offensive identity from just the smoldering wreckage when you're done. Good night and good luck. Because boy, howdy, you're going to need it. Moving on to Saturday, uh, not a whole lot of interesting games that are popping up. I mean, the only one that could probably be a pretty good game, uh, Oregon-Auburn. At a, I believe they're playing in Cherry World again. AT&T Stadium in Texas. Uh, Oregon travels well. Even though Auburn is closer to Jerry World. So, could be a pretty even matchup from a fan participation standpoint this could easily be another one of those cases where Oregon could outcoach Auburn but just up the strength of Auburn just being a more physical and a more beefy team than Oregon that's could just be how they win it's like oh Oregon just like tried to out scheme them but they just like <laughs> Man, Auburn eats so much ham. We didn't scheme for ham, guys. Pac-12, you got to start scheming for ham. Anytime you play SEC, you just got to start scheming for beef, anything. Just like meat in general. At, uh, and then you got Georgia Vanderbilt early conference matchup. Uh... It's Georgia on the road at Van- at Vandy, so uh, Georgia by like three touchdowns is what I'm thinking right now. Um, there's nothing really to sort of goad me into thinking that Vandy has much of a chance. I don't think Vanderbilt's a bunch of scrubs by any stretch of the imagination, but it's Georgia, man. Yeah, they're like the flat front khakis of the SEC, but they're dangerous. They're physical. They'll get in your grill. So good night and good luck, Vandy. And then on Sunday, you got Houston at Oklahoma. Now, that could be a pretty fun game. Dana Holgerson-led Cougars. I guess Oklahoma squad that does not have Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. They do have Jalen Hurts, but... I don't know. I feel like that has the potential to be a very like high scoring game, probably higher scoring than what befits Oklahoma's comfort. But who knows? Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. Minnesota tonight. 
against the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Now, this is one of this is one of those uh, teams that could probably give a team like Minnesota some fits. Just off the strength of like the sort of offense that South Dakota State runs. Um, Minnesota could probably win. They'll probably come out on top in that matchup. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd just be wary if I were, uh, <laughs> if I were Minnesota. Just make sure that game does not go too far out of hand. Because it could, it could go very awry. Yeah, you're playing them at home, but just... South Dakota State's one of those teams that is designed to make any FBS team look like just an absolute goof. Same with Georgia Southern. Same with Fresno State. Fresno State, not FCS, but you get the picture. Minnesota, just don't look like a bunch of goofs. You'll be fine. You'll be A-OK. That's really all I got on that. Um, let's see. We got some video game news. This one came in right at the buzzer, hot off the press. Uh, Yakuza 7 is a thing. Talk about a lot of uh, Yakuza around here. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess it's just a season. Anyways, Yakuza 7. It looks pretty different. And by that, I mean they're changing up the sort of gameplay style entirely. And by that, I mean they're moving from more like a action brawler type deal that's more focused on like button combos, things of that nature, skill trees. And now they're moving to a turn-based RPG type combat system, which that's pretty ballsy if you're not a spinoff. If you're like a main entry game, just completely shifting your uh, battle system like that. That takes some cojones. Granted, you know, games do that like Final Fantasy. They change the battle system all the time. But rarely do you see a game series like Yakuza that's more in vain of like a traditional action game, third person action game hop from traditional third person action game to turn-based combat. <laughs> it's pretty nutty and pretty weird, but I am very interested to see if that's actually like it because I remember not too long ago that Sega released something along those lines of a turn-based Yakuza as a sort of April Fool's prank. But now it looks like they're actually going through with it. So I don't know. It could be interesting. I'm very down to see some more of that. And then we got some Capcom news. More specifically, hey, did you have a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis back in the day? Did you play any of those... Disney movie tie-in games like Aladdin or The Lion King. Good news, they're coming back. As sort of like a throwback collection set type deal. Because Capcom is re-releasing all their 
old, uh, I guess like nineties NES, not NES, like Super Nintendo, old Genesis, Disney games. Actually, I think it's just the Lion King and Aladdin because I guess those are the two most recent live action Disney remakes. Um, I'm gonna be real with y'all. I never played those games like at all. Even now, I don't feel hard pressed to even look at them. It's, I don't know. That was just kind of out of my sort of out of my cultural field of vision. Do they seem fun? Yeah, a little bit. Would I play it that much if I got them? Uh, no. So I'm just, I don't know, doing myself a favor ahead of time. Not really paying too much attention. Tell you what I did get, though. I got the uh, Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection at last, finally. Sort of get my hands on those games. And I've been playing some Third Strike. Shocking, shocking. And as much as I hype up Q here and everywhere on social media, no matter what, Q's my guy. Favorite Street Fighter character probably ever. Outside of maybe Chun-Li and Zangief. Uh, I've been put on to the Church of Dudley. Because, man, his, <laughs> his, his combos feel so good to do. It's when you're like in a situation where you can just juggle this dude and then combo that right into super. It just feels, whoo. It feels good, man. I'm very excited to play a little bit more. And my friend got it too, so. I'm very pumped to like play Street Fighter with more than just like a training dummy or dudes online. Because I feel like that's something that I've been missing. It's just like, I don't know. I guess the more local aspect of playing fighting games. Yeah, I got Smash Ultimate. That's pretty fun with friends, but I don't know, man. There's just something about playing like those old Street Fighter games with a buddy that just like takes it to another level. Anyways, when we come back, we got one more word. Talk about NBA 2K. That's right. We got more 2K news and probably not for too good reason, but... Oh, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Do not go anywhere. quick costume rental or just want to give some dope old clothes a new life check out mod vintage downtown for the best trend vintage around we'll also pay cash for your retro wares if they no longer spark joy just go on down to mod v at 818 east broadway because life's too short to be basic tune into high and tight with me and my co-host logan perone as we catch you up on the latest signings trades news scores and highlights from around america's pastime every sunday at 11 a.m on the 88.1 fm stream and our website kcu.fm on the blue box 
what's happening, guys. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCLU 88.1 FM and KCLU.FM. Press the wrong buttons. I'm tired. Show's almost over. So let's talk about NBA 2K20's loot box system, which, I mean, uh, if you were hoping that 2K was going to sort of shy away from presenting its loot box system as gambling. Boy, howdy, they're not trying to hide it from this latest trailer because while the company, 2K, was like, well, we don't view card packs and loot boxes as gambling. Uh, <laughs> They sort of translated into... Uh, slot machines, pachinkos, prize wheel machines <laughs> to sort of like illustrate the card pack system, VC system, things of that nature. And boy, howdy, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's like <laughs> my, uh, my shirt that says I'm very not into gambling is raising a lot of questions about my gambling habits. Uh, if I were a parent, I'd probably have some concerns. Especially with my pocketbook. Oh, well. Uh, it, bo it probably does not bode well at all <laughs> for 2K. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens if they end up having to, like, tone it down or something. But, Whatever. This has been Core Circle Backboard. I'm Chris Mitchell. Up next, we got Triple Threat. And then later on today at like 4 o'clock, we got Salute Your Sports. Back with a college football preview for Mizzou. And of course, you got all that and more coming up later. I'm Chris Mitchell. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to tune in for Salute Your Sports and Triple Threat. And if you're ready for a Mizzou football preview, can I get a kill? Yeah.